free drop here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. Made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hello, folks. It is Sean and Dylan, your two favorite co-hosts, here at Riviera Country Club in sunny Los Angeles. And uh, we're just talking about... The lovely interview we had with Gino Benali. Is that it? Gino Benali? Benali. Uh, he is the caddy for Joel Damon. And if you don't know him already, you will probably learn his name and his story uh, when you watch Full Swing on Netflix. Well, you're going to learn it in like like a minute and a <laughs> half also. Once we get to our interview with him, this is a good get for the drop zone. We are highly selective on the guests that we book for a reason. Uh, mostly we just don't always book them. We just talk to each other. But... Um, this was an absolute no brainer, especially when we learned he had an empty mansion that we could come recorded in. We were going to sit on the floor. They delivered a couch just in time, uh, for us to sit on that instead. There is video available of this that will be going up on our drop zone YouTube page. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Sean, I don't have that much to say, except that I would like you to listen on to the interview because I think it's really fun. Yeah. And I think you decided that we share one of the best stories in drop zone history yes well gino does yeah. we have very little to do with sharing the story <laughs> we pulled it out experiencing of experiencing it uh we did ask a question it felt like gino was ready to share this story <laughs> um god i hope you enjoy we are here in the caddy casa the casa de caddy with i guess probably our favorite caddy right dylan well we definitely don't pick favorites it's our job to be objective journalists but um yeah gino's got to be top five sure can you pronounce your last name for me benelli benelli gino benelli the caddy for joel damon uh, when i'm not caddying for joel damon mm. uh, are you this week more of a caddy or, or a netflix star i i hope caddy <laughs> yeah uh i anticipate there's going to be some yahoos yelling things from the ropes Actually, they'll probably all be with Tiger's group, so our group will be a ghost town. Gino, can you describe where we are right now? I, I don't know how much you're allowed to disclose, but it's a pretty interesting spot. I don't actually know where we are. Um, a friend of a friend of a friend, apparently, sent me an address and said, go to this house and you can stay there. It's been vacant for 50 years, but we put a bed in there this morning. I feel like this is an 8,000 square footer. Uh... The Zillow estimate, Zestimate, uh, on this bad boy is uh, in the mid-teens of millions, maybe <laughs> 15 milli. Yeah. So it's not, not bad. What's the worst place that you've ever stayed? I, 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 always, I always want to butcher the name. I always want to say Mamaronic, it's, but it's Mamaronic, <laughs> New York, uh, the, the Mamaronic Motor Inn. Uh, the first night there, uh, my Airbnb canceled on me. Yeah, at Bethpage. Um, no, it was Wingfoot. Wingfoot is where it was. Yeah, U.S. Open there. Sometimes those courses just all go smush together in my mind. Um, that was probably the worst. That's the one that got me a little bit of social media traction. Oh, that was the one. That was there. Did you have blood on the towel? Yeah, and uh, some bullet holes in the walls, it looked like. Then the carpet had been bleached out and... Uh, it looked like they used toothpaste to caulk the sink in and the things were falling off the walls. It was bad. Um, but then I would say a close second, Joel and I stayed in a red roof inn in Cleveland, Ohio together. That was, uh, that was something. Why were you in Cleveland? Um, that was back in the web.com tour days. How far away does that feel compared to where you are now? Not that long. Like it was a long time ago, but it, the, the weeks go by so quick out here. Yeah. You know, we've, I've already have my next 10 weeks lined up with flights and hotels. Sorry about that. Let's go ahead and mute it. Sorry, wife. And uh, everything just kind of flies by. Uh, somebody dug up an old tweet of mine recently that outlined my income from that first year of caddying on the web.com tour. And Joel and I were laughing at that going through. And I, I remember my our first made cut. It was our, my third event caddying. I made $103, I think it was, oh my gosh, as, my, as my percentage 
<laughs> as my percentage on top of my base salary for the week. So I was getting 850 a week yeah. and then I made an extra 103 bucks and I remember being so excited. Oh. I was like, man, I can eat this weekend. Yeah. That's something I was thinking about this week. I went to Phoenix and then this week we're in Genesis. It's the first time I've ever done two tournaments in a row, back to back on the road where you can tell tour players, hey, I'm going to see you next week rather than taking a couple weeks off and trying to see them month to month. I can see how it gets really dizzying for you guys, though. It does. A lot of times you forget what state you're in or what the tournament's called. Um, it's kind of wild. And it makes it makes it tough on the family, though, too, when you're gone that much. Sure. And uh, my wife, thankfully, she's a saint. When I was part of the Netflix episode, yeah, I think I'm extremely biased, but your episode is probably my favorite. But part of it, it taps into the emotions of how important you are singularly to Joel, how important he is to you. What was the Netflix experience like overall? Overall, it was great. I, with Joel and I, we have nothing to hide and we get along with pretty much yeah. everyone. So yeah, like why not? let people into our life like not gonna find anything on us you weren't worried about anything no like because you know that other characters in the show had a lot of things to be worried about for sure like i met my wife freshman year of college and i literally have only been with her for the last 20 something years and she's the best person on earth and i mean we talk every 20 minutes throughout the day. She texts me during the round. I try to text her back really fast. I'm like, yeah, we got a 20 footer right here. Let's go. You know, no, I did, that doesn't really happen too often, but man, we got to um, clip this out for Valentine's day next year. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. That's good. Please do because I didn't get her anything oh, yesterday. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Total sidetrack of this conversation. Please. But, uh, yesterday I didn't even realize it was Valentine's day until whatever time I was, she, she's going to hear this. Oh, this is going to get me in so much trouble, but it's kind of funny. Sorry, wife. I love you. Um, so I totally lied to her yesterday. Joel needed a jacket out of his uh, locker before we went out onto the golf course. And he's like, I bet you can't run from the driving range all the way up to the locker room and back here in eight minutes. I'm like, okay, what's the bet? He's like, there's an Amazon gift card in my locker. If you do it in under, Eight minutes, you can have the gift card. If not, you owe me 20. He goes, I don't know what the value is on it. I'm like, <laughs> we set the stopwatch. I take off running. I make it back and right at seven minutes, I'm huffing and puffing and miserable. I leave for the day and I go get the Amazon gift card out. And I'm thinking it's probably for a hundred, maybe two. It was a gift from one of the tournaments that had given him. And so in bed last night, I load it into the Amazon app and it was only for $50. No. And I was like, darn it. But I screenshotted it. And I said it to my wife, and I was like, hey, uh, I was feeling guilty for not buying you anything today, so I went out and bought you this Amazon gift card. <laughs> and she was like, you bought me an Amazon gift card for $50? And she was like, all I wanted was like a nice email or a text message from you. She was like, anything would have been more personal than an Amazon gift card. I actually card. think you this earned your kill there. You ran for it. You didn't just buy it. <laughs> that is true, wife. Please take note of that. <laughs> Gino, have you noticed any Netflix effect so far in the less than 24 hours that it's been out? Um, a lot of people with the tour and with Netflix keep telling me yeah. that I'm going to experience something. Yeah. Whatever that is, I don't. is, they're like, man, you need to hire an agent and this and that. You're going to be so famous. I'm like, I don't feel that that's the case <laughs> maybe by the time this comes out february 21st i'll be on billboards in new york city i don't know but it doesn't feel that way you're gonna to be me. on this great podcast the drop zone that's true so i want to know what it was like watching your episode for the first time it's the fourth episode out of eight it directly follows ian poulter's commitment to live and i think that's interesting for the viewers because on its own when you end up buzzing through these episodes you get justin and jordan and then you kind of go to the live world with brooks and then poulter and then suddenly you get pulled out of that and then you're with joel and gino it's really nice that way but what was it like watching the episode for the first time yourself 
I was, well, I am hypercritical of myself. Okay. So everything that I said, I'm like, should I have said that a little bit differently yeah, sure. than I did? And I don't, I don't mind flipping Joel crap on the golf course. I think that's all fine. But the caddying stuff, the way I said some of that or like didn't that. say something, um, I'm trying to think of it. There was a couple times we were talking about, oh, we were between an eight or a seven iron. I was like, does eight iron get there? He's like, maybe not, but seven's too much. I'm like, oh, you're absolutely right. But I'm like, I'm the one that should have said that instead of him. And I mean, it's just little things like that. And I thought I came off maybe a little bit, uh, I don't know, not as serious as I would have liked. Just, just, just for the fact that, you know, the people who watch this could be my future employers, right? And so it's almost a, almost a job interview. I hope that's not the case. I mean, I would like to work for Joel forever. But I do feel like I'm a good caddy, and I am. I would never call another player a boner. Yes, that was my next question. <laughs> uh, on the golf course, other than Joel, or if I felt that that was an acceptable thing to say. Uh, when did you call him a boner? So I remember it. We were walking off the, uh, and they may have put it in in a different spot, but they used uh, when I actually did it. We were on the eighth hole on Sunday, the U.S. Open, mm. and. If you hit it in the fairway there, you're pretty much going to knock it on in two and, may, and probably make birdie. And he held on to one and he wiped it over into the tall grass. And I mean, this thing was in two feet of hay. And But I could tell that he was in an okay mood. He wasn't that upset about it. And like I jokingly was like, nice shot, boner. And he was like, what? Did you just call me a boner? I'm like, yeah. I mean... And at the time, I'm like, that'll never be used. I was wearing a microphone, but I said a lot of stupid shit over the course of the season. And uh, then when I watched that, <laughs> I just started laughing. I was like, yeah. oh, no. I, and that's kind of a tacky word and not a word yeah, that I totally. ever use. Yeah, it was notable because he brought it up again later. You're like, yeah, I was probably the only caddy in the field that called their player a boner. <laughs> right, I know. But I wasn't the only player who thought it, I think I said. Yeah, it's funny because I was talking to you right after, I guess right after you had seen it, but before the show went live, and you were feeling self-conscious about this and feeling like, hey, maybe you weren't coming across as serious enough. Um, and I know you, you don't take yourself seriously, but you take your craft very seriously. But I think you're being hypercritical because I consulted Emily, my wife, who was like, Oh no! I mean, Joel said in the episode that Gino takes the job even more seriously than he does. Yeah, Joel and I'm glad he he did say that. I felt that helped my brand, uh, so that was good. But overall, I think the episode was great. I told somebody else today. Uh, they asked, "Is there anything that you wish was in the episode mm. that was filmed that didn't make it in?" And I remember U.S. Open sectionals. They had a camera follow us around, and I was mic'd up during that and. The back nine at sectionals, I thought we worked great as a team. And we get to the last four holes, and in my mind, we had to birdie all four of them to get into the U.S. Open. But they were all, there's two par fives, a short par three, and almost a drivable par four. I'm like, we can birdie all four of these. And two putt birdie on 15, and almost drove the green on 16, chipped it to a foot, and then hit a pitching wedge to like six feet on 17 makes that. I'm like three in a row and the last hole is par five. And I'm like, we are going to birdie. And I'm given like the play by play and he and I are talking through everything. And I thought it was so awesome. And there's literally a camera standing from me to you. The dude walked out onto the green and like (laughs) squats behind his birdie put on 17. And I, I was like, do I let him stay there or do I tell him to get the heck out of the way? And Joel didn't seem to mind, so I'm like, I'm gonna let him roll with it. And he makes the putt, and I'm like, that is for sure yeah, going to be in the episode. In. And it wasn't in there. But, uh, so I, it would have been neat to, to see that. It's funny, in some ways, I feel like the reason that this will always leave people wanting more is because we're now in the era of like, Bob does sports playing a three-hour YouTube round with some pro golfers, stuff like that. Like, we're just getting more used to complete, unfettered access, where I feel like Netflix has this idea of, all right, every 10 seconds, you have to re-engage the audience. It's it's a very different experience. So, 
I don't know. There must be so many things that you guys experienced that didn't make it into the final cut. We definitely did a lot of dumb stuff over the year and said a lot of dumb things. Um, I'm glad he played well in the U.S. Open, though, because I feel like had that not happened, we might not have had an episode yeah, at all because <laughs> we didn't really have a big highlight from last year. It was kind of a stagnant year uh, up until this fall. Jules mm. played great in the fall, but there wasn't like a shining moment and other than that. And other guys got followed around and then, yeah, didn't end up particularly featured, I think. Right. All right, so this is a pretty conceptual question, but Adam Scott had a press conference today and he said that he kind of brings in Stevie Williams to caddy because Stevie is intense and sometimes Adam looks for that type of intensity. And I think on some level, like every caddy on tour is that specific player's caddy for a very specific reason. So I'm curious why you think you are a great fit for Joel or why Joel thinks you are a great fit for him. When I first started working for Joel, he got very angry a lot. He was, uh, I know the episode that we were featured in, it's called imposter syndrome and he kind of downplays how good he is. And that used to really bother me because um, he would, you know, he'd hit a tee shot and it's, fading into the rough or whatever it's not dead by any means but he's be like nice bogey i'm like well, we haven't i think we can make a par here like even if we miss the green we can still chip and putt like we've got a few shots to get this in the hole um that used to weigh on me and uh there was a lot of anger in him early and i try to i think it's okay to be mad sometimes but it was too much. Even with him, is as lighthearted as he is, he, he he was that way. So I felt with my humor and ability to uh, pick my spots and things that I would say to him, I'd let him get away with a little bit, but I would never let him get too far um, before I bring him back. And I think that was... That may be That's one of my hard. strengths with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. What does that look like? What does bringing him back kind of look like? I, I, I literally have... I, I'm not just saying this. I've literally hit him before. I slapped him in the face, I remember, at an event. I punched him and, you know... And then we were at uh, the at Kiowa, the PGA Championship. Joel was right up there at the top of the leaderboard, like, Saturday through nine holes. We were playing with Ricky Fowler on Saturday. And we might have been in like fifth place or something. Mm -hmm. And we turn to that closing stretch back into the wind. It's like 15 or through 18 back to the clubhouse. And it's playing absolutely brutal. Like you, you just make a couple bogeys in those four holes. You're not losing many strokes. And he would, I remember him being so mad. And I was like, knock it off. I was like, we're in fifth place, you know. And yeah. he was like, all right, I was, I was legit mad. So um, that's happened a couple of times. There's a great story that nobody knows about. Uh, our first year on the PGA Tour together, we did not keep our card and had to go back to Corn Ferry Tour Finals. And it was the second to last event. We were in Ohio at some golf course. I forget where, Canterbury, I think it was. And are leading the golf tournament on Sunday. And we needed a sixth place finish to get our PGA Tour card back. And we're on the eighth hole. It's just a short par four. It's a hybrid nine iron. But Joel only hits driver off the tee on every hole for his whole existence. And the first three rounds, there was like OB left and he just blew it into the right trees the first three days. And there's nothing quirky about the hole. It's just straight away. But he, he said to me on Sunday morning, don't let me hit driver on eight. And we get, to, we get to eight, and he's like, I'm hitting driver. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're hitting hybrid. And he's like, I'm hitting driver. And we went back and forth. And I'm like, fine, hit the driver. Into the tree's right. I'm like, we get up there, and the lie is actually pretty good. And we have a window under some trees. And I'm like, we can kind of just punch a six iron under these branches and chase it up toward the front. And like, I felt really good about it. I'm like, I could do this. I know he can. Yeah. And it was one of those ones that 
he you lean on a little too much and i think he took the loft completely off of the club and it never got airborne it went like 10 yards oh, no. and stayed in the rough oh, no. still in the trees but then it was worse off where we were the second time and so from there we had to pitch it out you know we make double and he is fuming mad and maybe i should have tackled him on the tee box and made him hit hybrid i don't know but uh he gets the ball out of the hole and he, he like throws it at me but too high and it goes into a bunker and i'm like so now i have to walk out off the green and go get the ball out of the bunker and rake the bunker and i'm mad and he's like walking off the green to the next tee box he goes i got a monkey working for me today <laughs> and i remember like i was like ooh, i was like okay i'm not gonna say anything to him and i felt like this, I don't even know what it was. It was this wave came over me. I'm like, nope, I'm losing it. And I turned around and I grabbed him by the shirt and I wadded it up and I put a finger in his face and I was screaming at him. And I was like, mother, I could have hit that onto the green, you know? Excuse my language. But I was like, if I didn't think you can hit a six iron in the air, I would have never let you hit it. And he was like, oh. he didn't say anything. He just went wide eyed and looked at me and after I got it all out, our playing partner we were playing with, he was like, oh my God, like, what's happening? And, you know, we were still toward the top of the leaderboard. We fell, obviously fell out of first place, but we're still in that position where we can, with a decent back nine, get our PGA Tour card back. And walking off the tee, hits a, he hit a terrible tee shot on nine. I just got done screaming at the guy. But uh, we made par, and he's like, hey, I'm sorry about that back there. And I truthfully, after I got it all out, I felt fine. I was like, don't worry about it. Like, we're all good. And fast forward, playing great golf. He's calm. He's not mad. Like, I think he was like, had his tail between his legs a little bit. We get all the way to the last hole. We're almost in the lead again and make another double bogey. <laughs> so we gave it back, but it was just a bad lie and a bad chip and a bad putt and led to double. And we finished sixth place and we get in sign our scorecard and i remember the scorecard guy the scorer guy was like he said to joel he's like congratulations that should be good to get you back to the pga tour and joel lost it oh he, uh, like he was like i'm so sorry he was crying and i was crying i was like don't worry about it man i was like it's all good so that's one it's wow. the only time we've ever really had a thing never called, thing. A never called me, i got a monkey working for me today I just remember that feeling that came over me was like, I'm going to kill him. No, don't do it. Let it go. And I was like, nope, can't let it go. That might be the realest story in the history of the drop zone right there. Seriously. You and I haven't had that kind of Kenny player experience yet. Well, we haven't been close enough to the lead yet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Wow. Gina, so, that's good stuff. Yeah, sorry. You can... what, I mean, what was, like, what was the long-term effect of that moment? Um, he, so we went out to dinner that night and he goes, he goes, I am so glad that you stood up for yourself. He goes, cause if you would have let me treat you like that, he's like, I think I would have lost respect for you because he goes, I was completely out of line. Damn. Um, and have you had a, a driver disagreement since? Oh, we've got, we have lots of disagreements on things. Um, maybe not, not to that extent. And. Um, I don't know if there's, that might be the only time in history where he said, do not let me hit this club yeah, yeah. Um, about anything. And then obviously went on to hit that club. Right. There's, a, there's a lot of, I mean, every week he's like, I can't believe we hit that club right there. And when he says we hit that club, I know it's me. Like, yeah. because I, I generally, I have an opinion about things. I'm like, no, 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 it's not, it's not six, it's seven or vice versa, whatever it may be. And then it, if it leads to a bogey, he's like, how did how did we do that? And I mean, I always have justifica justification as to why we did what we did. It may not turn out how I thought it would, but in my mind, it was the right play at the time. How nervous were you at Brookline? And is that the most nervous you've ever been as a caddy? No, I think, I don't know if nervous would be the right term for it. I think I was... I was excited and I remember like Friday 
wanting. You've ever seen the movie Click, how you can just fast forward through your life? Yeah, yeah. I remember wanting so bad to see how that turned out on Friday. I'm like, gosh, I would love to fast forward to Sunday afternoon right now and see where this thing ends up. Um, I've definitely been more nervous in things because we had this year guaranteed on the PGA Tour anyways. Um, So when your job's on the line, I feel like is when you get really nervous. Obviously, it would have been awesome to win a U.S. Open. But I I never really felt like we were going to win the U.S. Open. I mean, we're leading after 36 holes, but that's the halfway point. I think at that point, you're like, we're going to have a really nice week. But you look at the board, and we've got Morikawa and McElroy and Fitzpatrick, and I mean, all those guys. And obviously, I know Joel can play with all of those guys, and and he was hitting it so well that I'm like, oh, we're gonna finish nicely this week. But I never really felt like, yeah, we're gonna win this thing. So, Gino, you are sitting on the couch with actually two other PGA Tour caddies. Dylan has caddied in two tournaments. For Martin Trainer, I've caddied in yes. one for Trainer and one for Joel. Four tournaments between us and zero made cuts so far. But yeah, I want Sean to have a little bit of fun taking you through his experience caddying for Joel, so you guys can compare notes. Sean, you were set up for failure from the beginning. The fact that you were just in the location that that yeah. Joel was and were willing to do what you did was was great. So. To set the scene for people, you did not make the trek to Scotland. Joel was on his way to Italy with his wife for a little mid-season vacation. You were coming off Brookline, which you made a lot of money and gained a lot of points and everything. So just to let the, just to get it straight, why weren't you making that trek? It was purely financial because he was going to then go to Italy, like you said, with his wife. So for me, it would have been fly to Scotland caddy fly home and the tickets were astronomical like i don't even make that much money in a week joel's gonna have to finish like sixth or better for this to be worth my time and i know he's not going to want to be there i felt like it was just a stepping stone or a stopping point to get to italy so i was like i think i'm gonna sit this one out and he was like that's fine I'll find somebody else. You also had, I think, just played like six weeks out of seven that you guys had just come off. We did. It was, I remember it being a long stretch. And um, I I definitely shopped all airlines because I don't like to miss tournaments. But that one made sense to not go to. You never know what will happen. It's true. Well, I've got five moments that happened for me during those 36 holes that I caddied for Joel. The first one is the worst by far, but they all get better as we go. But Joel plays really well during the Pro-Am, and at least in my eyes, he seems to be in a good mood. Uh, All seems really good, good vibes. And then, like, inexplicably, first hole, I can't remember if he clubbed down or what, but he just hits this gross block into the trees that he had never hit in the previous three days. We never even thought about those trees. And I was wondering if that was just a complete coincidence or... Do you think he gets first tee nerves? Like, is there any part where you think Joel lets nerves step in? Because that tee shot felt really weird to me. Um, No, I don't think it's nerves. I think it may be lack of focus and concentration in the moment. Um, I don't think he really gets nervous on the first tee much. And when he does get nervous, it's usually when he plays his best. It's weird to say. Um but I feel like he's always always done well with those nervous type situations. Uh, I do think sometimes he goes a little brain dead for br- lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And that's when that high right comes in. Yeah. Uh, that's the mess and it's like, ah, oh, what are you doing? So number two, Joel's teeing off, uh, I think it's the second round and he hits this tee shot that he thinks is destined for a bunker. Um, I don't think it's going in the bunker. He hit it too good, and so it brought the bunker into play. But either way, uh, he thought it was in, and I was positive it was not. The truth is, it was on the down slope near the lip, but it was not in the bunker. Not a great lie, but not in the bunker. And 
Uh, as we were walking off the tee, I decided to kind of use that moment to try and cheer him up and be like, no, dude, we're all good. It's in the fairway. Um, but I was wrong and he was wrong. And as we get up there, he tells me that he prefers after any shot to believe that the lie is in the absolute worst spot. It absolutely is horrible. And then as you walk up to it, he prefers to be surprised. So if he thinks he hits into a bunker, just let him think he hits into a bunker. Don't tell him it's fine until you get up there and you absolutely stand over the ball and you know it's fine. Was that surprising? And is that kind of how things work between you two? So Paul Tesori, Webb Simpson's caddy, told me that really early on. He was like, be negative about the result of the shot, even if you think it might be okay. That way, when they get to the shot, they're like, oh, this isn't so bad. Like, they have this feeling of positivity versus the other way. Like, oh, I was expecting to be in the fairway, and it's one inch into the rough. Like, oh, you go the other way with it. However, I would say I'm not very good at it because I am a positive person, and I'm always trying to, like, oh, no, 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 it's not bad. We, we can get it up and down from there, you know. So I'm kind of like you. Like, well, and you're the uh, counterbalance to Joel in those situations, <clears throat> right? Because he's all right. he going was, as negative as possible. Exactly. He thought he had hit the perfect shot into the bunker, and uh, I told him, no, dude, you're, no, you're, you're fine. Yeah. So um, I think what I do in those situations is say, I think I stopped, stopped short of the bunker, but it's probably plugged in the bunker. Or so like, I play both sides of it, so maybe he doesn't get any expectations, but. Um, all right, so with that in mind, number three, this weird thing kind of happened where we're, we're walking to the tee box uh, to tee off for the first day, and Joel flips a tee, and it points to me. And he said, well, your turn. And I was like, oh gosh, what does that mean? Um, and he handed me the scorecard. and. So it was up to me to keep score for the day. Oh, uh, does he do that to you? Um, he's never once given me the option for him to keep the score. I have kept it every single round since my first day working for him in Leon, Mexico on the web.com tour. So 17 and a half holes go by and we're playing up the 18th and he's hit uh, this stinger driver short. And then a, I believe like kind of a stinger two iron short of the green. Uh, we're waiting for the other guys to play up, uh, Sepp Straka and Miko Kohornin. And Joel is just kind of one, he's just wondering kind of aimlessly, like, gosh, I wonder what Miko's at right now. And he asked me because I was supposed to be keeping score, but I'd completely forgot. And Joel uh, <laughs> went into a, like a brief moment of panic because um, Miko Kohornin wasn't really talking to us much all day. He was kind of a quiet guy. And if we got his score wrong, well, holy shit, we'd be in trouble. But Joel proceeded to grab the scorecard from me, grab the pencil from me, and rattle off every single stroke and every single score from perfect memory of what Miko Kohornin had done for the previous 17 holes. I could barely remember half of it. And I was just curious if you uh, are surprised at all by how Joel's memory works and if you are normally the scorekeeper for you guys. That's impressive. He does have a really good mind for stuff like that. Because yeah. once in a while, like, I will freak, I'll, I'll go five holes without writing one down. And I usually, and then I'm like, oh, shoot. And then I, I'll be like, okay, the last four were here. And then the fifth hole ago, I'm like, and he's like, no, remember he hit it here, 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 here. Yeah. And, He's, he's really good with stuff like that. It's impressive. He definitely told me in that moment, he's like, yeah, I normally Gino keeps track of all these things, but uh, he, he's, he told me he thought he could keep track of every score or every, um, yeah, every score and every hole that anyone in his group played in like the whole summer. Joel said that yeah. about himself? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty impressive. He does, he is a little Rain Man-esque in that sense, I guess. I guess part of the appeal in your Netflix episode is the banter you guys have back and forth. A lot of it is our sarcastic and humorous. At least that's what's in the episode. But once I watched it, it was such a reminder for me of how I wasn't doing your job for him. Like I wasn't really filling in for you in the way he really needs you to. Because like I don't know what he wants in those tense moments when he might be struggling. Um, 
when he might not want anything. He might not want something in specific, but I don't know how to make him laugh necessarily in the way you do. I remember talking to him about his former high school basketball team and one of his teammates uh, at Gonz- who ended up playing at Gonzaga. I think that's great. Yeah. I think he loves that type I'm of sure thing. I'm he did, but I was curious. Um, Josh Heifelt. Yeah, exactly. I was just curious if it's this thing that comes naturally to you guys or if there's a certain vibe you try to create when you need to poke him and prod him. Um, or if it's something that comes natural over time from experience, you guys just know how to vibe around each other because I was not necessarily there, uh, for him in the way you always are. That may be the case. Uh, I definitely, and there's a lot of times that I'll tell him a story or I'll say something too. And I'll be like, that was a complete waste of my energy to you. And he has no interest in what I just said. Like there's a lot of times out there we'll, we won't say anything. And then I'll be like, I probably need to talk to him right now. Like other than about the golf shot. Um, And then I'm like, Oh, what stories could I, do I have any funny stories about my kids or anything at home that's happening? And then I might force a story that he doesn't give a about. And he's like, "Mm, nice story there, Gino. (laughs) Sorry. I'm just trying to speak something, Yeah, yeah, you know? So I feel that way once in a while too, but, it's a tough one to be in when you're just coming in outside the ropes. You have an opportunity to help the situation and then you don't. I know it was the 12th hole or maybe the 11th hole of our second round and we needed to shoot three under in the second round. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's perfect. You should, yeah. And so we needed to shoot three under and he birdies the first hole and did the 10th hole. Okay. Sick. It's in the middle of filling 11. He's got a pitching wedge in. And um, he was afraid because the collection area was to the right. If you miss the green right, it's kind of tough up and down. And then kind of overcorrects, hooks it into what is even more death left. And it got really quiet once he made bogey there for like 11, 12, 13, 14. And I just was thinking, what Mm, It feels like a death march through that. Um, There's definitely a certain point in which your back is completely against the wall and you almost are like, okay, we missed this cut. And there's, uh, <laughs> I feel like there's some different points. You're like, okay, we really have to get it together and shoot three under on this back nine. And then the, you know, bogey 10 and 11, you're like, okay, now it's not going to happen. Right. So then there's like, oh, this like denial phase and I don't really care. And then might make a couple birdies and, your interest gets back a little bit, but it's still too little too late. And then there's this, why did I spend all this money to come to Scotland? And, you know, things like that. Um, Really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, actually, Data Golf just put out this new stat. It's called Garbage Time. I was going to bring it up when you said you guys have both caddied for Martin Trainer because he's the leader. He's the leader of Garbage Time. time, is what I was thinking because it, and basically the stat is, how many, uh, I guess, how many holes? I think that what they did is maybe how many It was holes? percentage of time on the golf course. Yeah. So Trainers was total, and then they also had percentage. Oh, there okay. There were a couple people that were had a higher percentage than him. Anyway, Mar- Trainers played uh, over 100 either holes or hours where it is already statistically impossible for him to make the Yeah. Game. It's a, that that's garbage a... time seems like an interesting time for a player caddy dynamic. It is. Unfortunately, we had some garbage time at Tory Pines featured on Netflix when yes. I was like, hey, we can catch this three o'clock flight out of here. And we still have seven holes to play on Friday. Um, yeah, those those times suck. Yeah. Being in that garbage time, it's compl- and same like I remember playing some U.S. Open sectional stuff, too, to where, oh, we have to birdie the last seven holes in a row. I mean, that's that's garbage time. Yeah, yeah. All right. And finally, number five. We're playing the last few holes in the second round. We have to birdie them all. We birdie seven. We need to birdie eight and nine, which are both back into the wind, um, which is just going to be tough. But that's how we would make this cut. So we tee off on the 35th hole, and Joel hits this stinger driver. It's absolutely perfect. And it runs and runs. But thankfully, we had played the same shot yesterday, and there's no way it would run into trouble. So... We walk off the tee, 
and we walk up and we walk up and there's no ball <laughs> where we think it is. And we look forward and look forward and holy cow, the perfect stinger driver has kicked forward, ran through the hard turf into the fescue and we're both stunned. And we get up to the ball and Joel says, did we change cheap tea boxes today, Sean? <laughs> and I was like, Son of a, because we had changed tee boxes between the first uh, round and the second round. They had moved up a tee. I did not realize that. Joel did not realize that. I think the people in our group did realize that. Um, thankfully, Joel wasn't mad or anything, but he did say afterwards that, Gino, that is not something that you would have missed. And I'm curious if you agree with that. That's funny. Yeah, I, I don't. That's never happened to me before that I'm aware of anyway, maybe it happened. I'm trying to think if I've seen that. I mean, it does happen where they'll switch tees around uh, in golf tournaments and I've, I've heard stories of it, but man, I can't say I've made that. I've made every other mistake in the world. I promise you that. What's the worst mistake you've made? Uh, giving a bad number as a caddy is such a feeling. Yeah. And I mean, I've I probably do it. Joel doesn't even carry a yardage book, so there's the double check option. Like cause no, most players and caddies uh, are yeah. checking each other, and I, mean, I don't have that to fall back on. So I would say I remember the the last one I gave was in Vegas, not this last fall, but the previous fall. So it's been like a year and a half since I given one. But one of the sprinkler heads in the book was like 140 to the middle, which was 125 front. And then the other one was 140 front. And I switched which head was which, and I added off of it. And he even, I, I gave him the number, we'll call it 155 yards. And he looked at it and he goes, that's really 155 yards, huh? And I was like, yeah. And I felt good about it. And he steps up, he's like, okay, nine iron. <laughs> right at the pin, I mean, he's posing on it. And I'm like, why is that still a hundred feet in the air? I feel like it's already to the pin. And I mean, it was gone. And he looks at me and he throws the club at me and he goes, that's a bad number. And I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, it is. I'm like, ah, oh. and I've done that a few times. When you're playing well and that mistake happens, oh, it's just the worst feeling. Um, good one on that, we're at the Canadian Open. Played the back nine first. We turned to number one at Glen Abbey. And given the number, same type of situation. We have, we have 125 yards, which our gap wedge goes 125 on a full one. It's dead calm out. The greens are wet. Like the, we're going to fly this thing into the cup, and it's just going to splat right next to it. I'm like, perfect gap wedge right on it. And he hits it again right at the pin, flies the green. And he goes... There's another bad number. And I'm like, it is not a bad number, I promise. And I even, I stepped it off again. I'm like, nope, it could be 124 and a half. But, I mean, it's 125. And he goes, there's no way I can hit a gap wedge 145 yards. And he kind of flips it at me. I'm like, you hit a pitching wedge. <laughs> and he goes, oh. So fast forward three holes later, I give him a bad number. He flies a green. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Oh. He goes, what's happening right now? That's uh, he actually played really well that week. I think he finished eighth. Do you have favorites and least favorites? It actually, it would be great if you could share your least favorites. I think that would that would really be a hit with listeners. Least, I mean, the least favorites uh, to to be paired with. Yes. I'll just say anybody's slow. Yeah. I don't like that's a generalization and. I mean, I could give names, but I don't really want to. But uh, I would say slow players in general. Joel's not slow. No. Martin is not a fast player. We are working on it. Uh, it's a work in progress. All right. Is it Rogers time here? Claire Rogers is sitting courtside, and she has prepared some questions for you, Gino, whatever we've missed. I thought Claire was falling asleep over in her chair over there. Okay, Gino, I have a few questions for you. The most serious one I have, but I liked, like, the letter part where you wrote the letter to Joel. Can you take me through your mindset as you were writing that? Um, I remember it very clearly because I was at work on my computer in my little cubicle. And I, I just remember kind of typing what 
I felt and what I thought would be a hireable letter. And I, I never thought that he wouldn't hire me. I'm like, if I word this right, yeah, he'll probably give me the job. And I guess maybe I, in the back of my mind, dream that it could someday lead to where we're sitting right now. But at the same time, I'm like, mm, Joel's really good, and he could definitely make it there. But I mean, the the odds are definitely against him. But as far as the letter goes, yeah, I don't know. I just I was being honest with how I felt. I think so. I mean, it's kind of a lame answer, but I felt good about everything that I typed. And I kept it semi-short and sweet, and I actually did have a plan as to how to make it work. And I had talked to my wife already about it before I even asked Joel. Like, those, the sequence of events had taken place before I put it out there because I wasn't going to throw it out there and be like, oh, just kidding, yeah. can't do that. So I, I made sure those things were lined up and crossed my fingers that he would hire me. Okay, this one's kind of a two-part question, but from an outside Outsider observing, I feel like a lot of tour players are kind of pampered in their lives. They have the manager and the agent and all these people trying to keep them happy. Do you think that what you guys have is rare and that you're willing to kind of, you know, tell him when he's out of line on that part? But also, would other players, do you think, apologize to their caddy after kind of a run-in? Ooh, good question. Um, what we de- we, what we have is definitely rare. And no, I don't think a lot of players, I mean, there's some that would definitely, but I would say a lot of players would probably be fired after that situation as to where it went the exact opposite way with Joel. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that just kind of shows, I guess, how special our relationship is out here. Um, Your years of experience, right? The trust. Yeah. And... I know that what he said to me wasn't personal. It was like, he we're trying to get a PGA Tour card back, which is a huge, that's a life-changing thing. And there's so much stress involved in that that I didn't take it personally, but at the same time, wasn't going to have him calling me names out there either. So, And then my last one is, I we ask a lot, like, players who their favorite player is to tee it up with, but... Not even thinking about players. Who's your favorite caddy to walk 18 holes with? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I love love Aaron Fleener, JT Poston's caddy. We have a great relationship. But uh, there's a caddy that maybe not a lot of people know about who I absolutely love is Max McGreevy's caddy. His name's Brett Swedberg. The guy is hilarious. Um, he's a family man, lives in Denver. Uh, he he got started out here caddying for Ryan Moore a couple years ago, and Ryan and Joel share the same agent, so we've bunked up. And he is absolutely fantastic. There's there's a few caddies that you meet along the way, and right away you know like this could be one of my guys. Yeah. Like I really enjoy him, and he was one of those guys for me for sure. All right, I've got one last question. Me too. You go first. Three years ago now, we interviewed Joel Damon Wednesday of the Genesis. We film, uh, we filmed it all almost three years to the day. And we asked Joel, Joel, this episode's going to come out in the future. It's going to come out a week from now. So can you predict before the Genesis where you will finish at the end of the Genesis so that people in the future can see if you were right or wrong? What did he say? He said, if I hit driver well, I'll finish T20. If I drive and putt really well, maybe I'll finish in the top 10. Um, I think he maybe said like T12 or something. And so I wanted to pitch the same question to you now, Gino. This week or? Yes. Where did you and Joel finish this past week now that it's last week? When people listen to this now, how will you have finished at the Genesis? Oh. Um, we, this week we finished, I'm usually actually pretty good at this. Um, yeah, Joel will not hear this until afterwards, so it will not, no, that's fine. We're going to, uh, we finished 18th this week. Why? Cause he, I'm trying to put it in the correct tense. Uh, Joel hit his driver 
pretty well the week of Genesis. <laughs> um, three weeks in a row, usually he starts to peak in that week three. He's taken a lot of time off with the their newborn baby that they've had. He was playing really well in the fall, um, took a little time off, broke off a little rust at Pebble, still played the weekend, didn't have his best stuff. Scottsdale is just an uncomfortable course for him. He doesn't like that golf course particularly, but still kind of hung around and had an okay week. And coming in here, we've had some good history. Ball striking is key because it's just really hard out here. And he, he lacks the length of some of the other guys out here, but... He still hits it so well, and his chipping and putting has been trending in the right direction. And I think our 18th is a very respectable, solid week. That's exactly what he told me this morning. God, I love that. Good synergy. And my last question was that exact same question because there is another good player caddy combo on this podcast. Gino, thanks for the time. Enjoy your 8,000 square foot empty memorable house you guys are the best thanks so much very good work all righty major thanks to gino dylan what was your favorite part of that podcast well i already mentioned the story but i guess i don't know my favorite part of the podcast was gino was getting just so dialed up he was in a a pause in the action was like you guys mind if i grab another beer from the fridge (laughs) i know um so it felt like he was having a good time he was settling in he is a a real character, but I guess one of the things that you get across in this interview is just how seriously he takes his craft. So I guess I hope that people got an appreciation for that. Yeah, I certainly earned a further appreciation for why he is Joel's caddy. Yeah. I've been getting that a lot lately. I got that by watching his uh, Netflix episode. Um and I learned why I wasn't the right caddy for Joel. Oh, man. Maybe not yet. Maybe not yet. Maybe you'll get I mean, there. I think I could. Um, but you learn why people work well together. I'm sure if they watched us podcast, they'd understand why we work well <laughs> together. Uh, nonetheless, that was my favorite part is just kind of trading barbs about uh, why why caddying for Joel is, is very fun, tricky at times. And I don't know. I really liked it. So it kind of draws a conclusion to my caddy experience with Joel is kind of like seeing it through Gino's eyes well we're officially wrapping up from the porch here on Riviera which means we've done some time travel all the way from last week to this week into next week Um, hope you've enjoyed this special midweek edition of the drop zone we'll see you next week